You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right, well, good morning, guys. Glad you're here this morning. And one, two, three, we're good. Is that good? All right, great. A couple pieces of information before we get started. Uh, number one, for those of you guys who see me around here um, on Wednesday but really don't know who I am. My name's Joe Russo, and I'm the guy who takes care of all of our men's stuff or the vast majority of our men's stuff here. And so um, if you're interested in any of that, I'm the only Joe on staff. I tell people you can call the office anytime, ask for Joe, and um, be happy to talk to you about some things. But at the same time, I'm going to take advantage of this time for some selfless promotion of some of the things that we do because nobody's here to tell me I can't and um, I can get over it if they want to do that later on. So I'm, what I'm going to do is tell you about a couple things and then I'm going to leave some stuff right here that you're going to have to engage your mind and think about it and come up here afterwards and get some of this information if you want some. First piece of information is that next week is spring break I don't want to know how many of you guys are going away somewhere beautiful, so don't even tell me, but we will not have class here next week. We'll not be here. We'll skip next week for spring break, and we'll be back the week after, so please remember that. Uh, This card I'm going to put up here is something we passed around uh, probably at the beginning of, of this year, and we did some last year. It really is just, if you want to receive the men's newsletter that we send out monthly that tells you about events that are going on here for men, uh, or if you want to be involved in saying, hey, I might want to help with some of those events, then all this is is check a box, give us your contact information, and we will put you on that list. We don't stalk people, and, but uh, there's a lot of great things that happen. If you're interested, grab one of those. The second thing that... Uh, that I have for you is I hand, I've handed these out last year a little bit, but they're very popular. It's, it's us when we've taken the armor prayer out of Ephesians chapter 6, turned it into something that you can daily say to help the armor of God make sense to you so that you're not just looking at it saying, that's cheesy, I don't wear armor. Well, we've broken it down so that it makes a difference so that you realize when I put my helmet on, God, I'm asking you to protect my mind and all the way down through the armor. This is a sticky back we've made so that you can stick it on your window or your, in your Bible or wherever you want. There's a whole bunch of them here. Take as many as you want. They're pretty popular. People hand them out to their friends. And I found it to be, and, and our whole men's team has found it to be extremely powerful as we try to walk through um, the day-to-day right? Because this stuff flies at us all the time. We need to try to be prepared. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given it to us. And the last thing is um, we do a, a men's boot camp twice a year. We take about 25 guys down to Mo Ranch in Hunt, Texas, where we go through. It's really a boot camp of the heart. So you guys that are saying, I had one guy tell me a while back, he said, I ain't doing no exercise. And I said, okay, it's not about exercise. Don't worry about it. But it really will, it will wreck you in a hundred other ways. Uh, it's really great information about being a man and strengths and weaknesses and areas that we need to deal with. And anybody, how many of you guys have been to a boot camp that are here? All right, so there's a bunch of hands gone up and the vast majority of the guys come back and say, in some way, shape or form, it has changed my life and made it more positive. 
And so information here about the next one that comes up in May, we do one in May, we do one in November every year. So there's that information there for you. And again, you're just going to have to remember to come up and grab it on your own because I probably will not remember to tell you about it again. Let's pray together and then we'll, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for uh, this group of men that are here this morning that get up pretty much every week to uh, come and hear from you. And so today, just like every other week, we ask that you'd show up because uh, without you showing up, then we don't have a whole lot to say. And so make your word come alive today and help our ears to be open and our hearts to be open and whatever it is that we have to receive as individuals today, it's probably going to be a bunch of different things for each and every one of us. Will you just make it real? We love you, Jesus. We thank you for everything you have done for us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just fill us now in this time together. And, and may what we learn today from your word be lasting in our lives. Amen. All right. I'm going to start this morning with a clip in just a second, but I want to preface it because um, it's another Braveheart clip, and, and some of you guys look at that and say, you know, we, you know, you guys ever get off that kind of thing? Because if you do anything with us in men's ministry, we're all about that. But I, I need you to understand something. It is not, I thought about it last week, it is, it is so far from the fact that we just like to see blood fly. It, it really has nothing to do with the violence, if you've seen the movie, you realize that there is this character and this valiant warrior, this fighting. It's, more, it's not the fighting, it's what they're fighting for. It's, it's the realization that I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. And so uh, the going after something and, and putting yourself in harm's way for what is right, and it's just this it's that kind of a movie, and, and yeah, okay, so your adrenaline can get going at the same time, but I just want to preface and say that's not why we love it. That's not why we love Gladiator. It's not why we love some of these movies. It's about the men or the characters that are in there and how they live in a way that sometimes, or most of the time, I wish I lived like that that I would have whatever it takes to stand up in front of whatever's in front of me and just say, Bring it. Get out of my way. I'm going forward and that kind of thing. So this is a clip. And then uh, for those of you that have seen it, we'll probably remember it. For those of you who won't, you'll look and say, what's happening? But we'll begin right after this clip. So let's start with this. Who knows what happened there? Anybody? What happened? Exactly right. He was, William Wallace made a pact, Robert the Bruce, uh, won't go into all of it, but one of the leaders had said he would be there to help him and defend him, and that's why when Wallace went thinking he's getting one of the bad guys, he goes to get him, and that's why he is dumbfounded, because this guy made a promise to me, I can't believe that this is him, and he can't figure out what in the world happened. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge turning point in the movie for Robert the Bruce, and we'll talk about that maybe in a, little, in a little while later, but it was betrayal is what happened. 
And so my question, you know, to you guys starts to be, you know, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like the life has just been sucked out of you? That face that was on Wallace, you look and say, oh, I have, <laughs> I've felt that way. I've been to a place where um, I have no words left. I can't comprehend what has just happened. My plans or my dreams, my ideas, all these things I was going after have fallen down in front of me and I just don't know what to do. These times are times when it's so easy for us to lose heart, to lose vision, uh, to lose passion. And honestly, there's a lot of times we'll, we'll come into that place and we'll say, God, are you still here? What's going on here? I, I really don't understand what's happening. And so today what I want to press into is an idea that is not, it's not uh, original with me, but since I heard it, I can't get, it won't go away. And that's why I was telling somebody the other day, you know, I had this thought going on, thought going on. Patrick and I talked about, you know, him having to go out of town this week. I said, yeah, I, I'll do this. And I sat maybe two weeks ago in the back where I usually sit. And while he was talking, I wrote my whole outline, just went like, not like I wasn't paying attention to him, but it was God was saying, okay, here it is, buddy. So I've learned to try to write that stuff down when God speaks, instead of me trying to grasp it later on. And so I want to press into this idea that the very things that may seem to be setbacks in our life may actually, in fact, be setups for God to do something great for our benefit. Things that come to us and may we're looking and say, oh no, this is a huge setback, I don't know what I'm going to do, may actually be a setup by God for something greater. And I wrote those verses down on your sheet. Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 20, it says that man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can a man understand his ways? And then lastly, Isaiah 55, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Or my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so I want to start um, by illustrating a little bit and saying, this is how I think we would love life to go. It's neat. It's clean. You start here, right? And you walk, walk in a straight line in a direction while you're walking. You have plans. I'm going to buy this. And you know that when you get, you know, around the board, over here is where the big money is, right? And so you plan how to get that. But in the meantime, you're just walking and there's a couple of pitfalls. But there's not anything that's out of control here. But this the straight line. You can see exactly where you're going. And we love for life, I think, generally to be that way. But the truth of the matter is, that's not how life usually goes, right? I mean, and, and that was evidence, that's why I showed you that video. Life generally goes something more like this. All right, you, you start out here, and, and everything is fine. Look at that nice little happy couple there, aren't they holding hands, they're all smiley. And then they get, they get down the road a little bit, and then all of a sudden they find themselves turned around, facing in the other direction that they just came from. 
And then it's not, it's not bad enough that they're facing in the other direction, but now they have to make steps and they feel like, oh, we're going backwards. And then midway, oh, it turns around again. And sometimes you get a break and be able to cut off some of that excess, but then sometimes you wind up way the heck over here. Further back than, than you even started out, it seems like. And it's been a long trip walking in the wrong direction. And you're saying, God, what in the world is going on? Well, the truth of the matter is life in God's economy is a whole lot more like this, including the falling over part, right? It's a whole lot more like Candyland than it is the Monopoly. And so what I want to do this morning is look at a biblical example. You know, when I started to think about this, I could have chose, oh my, Life after life after life, I could have looked at and said, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy. And I even have some personal stories. I probably won't have time for that, but we'll see how that all goes. But if I asked you, you would have personal stories when we get done where you could look and say, hey, I thought that this thing that happened was, was man, I thought it was the end of my world. I could not make sense of it. I was so discouraged. I was so lost on my way. And then I realized down the road, God had something bigger planned. And this was necessary, right? This is necessary to get to the place of the gloppy molasses thing where actually you get into the castle with King Candy over here, which is the object there. So let's look at this biblical example. And, and on your sheet, I, I said there's um, Three things that you need to keep in the forefront of your mind while we, while we are here this morning. Because we're reading through this story and it's so easy because we've read all these, you know, anybody that's been in the scriptures for a while, you read stories over and over again and they just become, it's a story. But we've got to remember that you, you it could insert any one of our lives into these stories. These are real people. You, you've got to remember that this, right? We believe that the scriptures are true, right? We believe that they're real. And so it's not just the verse that says, when I pray for Jesus to save me, that that part's real. There's other pieces of the scripture when they're telling a story, it's for a reason. It's for us to get the idea that, hey, this is how life goes sometimes. And so as we're looking at this story, we've got to remember this is a real dude. But the three things that I need you to, to remember as we go forward is I want you to, number one, when did it seem like he was moving forward? And when did it seem like he was moving backward? Those are the things that fill in your blanks. When did it seem like he was moving forward? When did it seem like he was moving backward? Number two, what the journey must have really been like. What the journey must have really been like after all, he was a real person. And then lastly, the fact that God was in all of it. God was in all of it. When is he moving forward? When is he moving backwards? What must it have felt like because he was a real guy? And the fact that God was in it all. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. You're probably already there because it's on your notes. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph because it's an amazing story. And um, we're going to keep all these things in mind as we look through there. And we're going to find out in Genesis chapter 
37, verse 1 and 2, we pick up the story with Joseph, the son of Jacob. He's 17 years old. It said, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generation of Jacob. And it says, Joseph was 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. It's important that they tell us that he was 17. We'll find out in a little while. And in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Now I wrote down uh, after, um, you know, the fact that he's the son of Jacob, I wrote, I put a forward mark there. Okay, he's moving forward. And, and Israel loved him, Jacob loved him, and more than his other sons, probably not a positive thing, but in general, he was loved, so I put a forward movement there. In verse um, four, we find out that he is, uh, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, which is probably something that any of our kids know, so be careful about that. You may have one that you think is a lot easier than the other that you favor a little bit, but you need to do everything you can and not let anybody else know that. Because as you love one, you destroy another in some ways. So just a thought. Um, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him in friendly terms. So I put a moving backward on that one. His brothers didn't, couldn't even talk to him. And Joseph, then Joseph had a dream. And, you know, which with the dream, I put, okay, that, that's cool. But then his brothers hated him more. And he said to them, please listen to my dream. And, and he, he said, we were binding sheaves in verse seven in the field. And my sheaf rose up and, and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. I put, you know, the dream is a positive dream. Okay, future prominence. And so I put a, a, an F there for forward movement. And then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you, are you really going to rule over us? And they hated him even more. And then he said, and it says in verse nine, that now he had still another dream, that now the moon and the 11 stars would bow down to him. And so he's had these two dreams of future prominence. It's sort of a God saying, hey, this is Hey, let me give you a piece of what might be happening down the road. It's going to be all right. You're going you're gonna to do just fine, and, and you're going to be someone where you know, your brothers and even your mother and your father are going to bow down to you. Now, it wasn't accepted real well, but the truth of the matter is that he had some things in front of him. He knew he was loved. He was given dreams of future blessings by God, and regardless of what his brothers felt about him, he could, be all, he could be doing all right. He's on a good path. I'm loved. I got future aspirations, you know, uh, things that are going to go well in my future that are positive, the promises of God. And, and so, so far, it's looking pretty good, at least to me. He's gotten started, and yeah, there's a, maybe a, a stopping place, but not too much going backwards. And then we pick up in verse 13 of... Uh, 37, and Israel said to Joseph, hey, are not your brothers pastoring in the flock? He said, come and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. And so I look and say, dad's saying, hey, why don't you go join your brothers? I look at that as a, a positive thing. Go, I'm trusting you to go out there and to work with them. And we come down into verse 18 through 19. 
And it says, and when they saw him from a distance, his brothers, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And I'm thinking, okay, that's probably not a positive thing. Uh, And then he goes on and said, and they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. They didn't really like him so much. Up to this point, his only thing that I see that he's done wrong is by telling everybody, hey, guess what? You know, but I don't know. I don't have any brothers um, in in real blood life, but I, I would think that you would share stuff like that. It'd be a natural thing. Hey, wow, this is a good thing, and, and I want to tell you about it. But they, uh, they weren't so pleased with him. And um, so it says in verse 23, it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic that was on him. Okay, I, so here's the part where, okay, hatred and, and all that kind of stuff and, and I get that. We don't all like each other. And you know, you get a, sh- a sneer from somebody from time to time. And, but it, it hasn't come up to this point to, um, to where that I know of that they've actually tried to do anything to him. But here now, all of a sudden, here he comes. Here comes this dreamer. And they take his coat off him. They strip him of his coat. And then they took him and they throw him in a pit. Now just, you know, stop for just a second and think about that. Here I am, I'm coming, and all of a sudden it actually gets physical, it gets violent, you rip my coat off, you throw me in a pit. I'm thinking those are two things that are moving backwards. We find out in verse 28, it says, then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, which might have been perceived by him, oh, okay, they were just playing, <laughs> it's all good. But then they, then they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And I'm thinking they actually sold their brother. We, we took, rip your coat off. I don't know what that means he has on. We throw you in this dirty pit. And then the next thing that happens is there he is. I'm, I'm a piece of meat. I'm being sold to these people that I have no idea who they are. And then it goes on to say, in, in, verse, um, in verse 36, it says that the Midianites sold him when they got to Egypt. So he's thrown in a pit, he's sold, literally becomes this slave owned by somebody else. They take him to Egypt, which I think was quite a journey. And, and then when they get there, they sell him again. He's sold again and in some kind of a slave market I'm putting together in my mind. We brought this guy in, we'll get good money for him in Egypt, and they put him on the block, and Potiphar, the the leader of the guard, says, oh, he looks like he would be helpful to me. I will will take him. And so Potiphar buys him. And, um, you know, I'm looking and saying, this has been a run of going backwards, if you ask me, as far as, my life dreams and aspirations, the things that I feel that God has promised me, and now all of a sudden I find myself as a sold twice and a slave in this strange land, and I have no idea what's happening to me. And so we pick up in, um, in, in chapter uh, 39, after all this, 
because there's a commercial in chapter 38, kind of takes a break and switches stories and then comes back. Um, And Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, the Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. But then it says in verse two, but the Lord was with Joseph. He's somebody else's slave, but God is there. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So I look at that as, okay, I stepped forward. The Lord was blessing Joseph. And the, but then we come to um, yeah, verses four. Actually, I was supposed to read all that to you. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him in verse three and how the Lord caused all that he had did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight. Okay, so another positive thing and became his personal servant. So maybe it's not so bad now, even though I'm still a slave and I've been sold by my family and I have no idea what, they, what is going on in my life because this was not the dream that I had. And we pick up in verse five, it came, um, it came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. So Joseph was blessed, but also the guy he worked for was blessed. So he left everything that he owned in Joseph's charge in verse six. And I see that as another positive thing moving forward. But then we have this woman that enters into the story. And um, man, she's a problem. Okay, I mean, she's, she's just a problem. And again, put yourself in this place. It came about in verse seven, after these events that his master's wife, so his boss's wife, comes to him with desire and she says, lie with me. Just flat out. There's no messing around here. Uh, And he's just like, she's like, lie with me. And he says, no. He refuses and he says, you know, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all these things in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I. How can I do this thing and sin against God? But it came about that she spoke to Joseph day after day. And I think, what a stud Joseph must have been, literally. Now, I don't know if she was beautiful, which she could have been, or if she was homely, which she could have been, right? It's just, regardless, it's the master's, it's his boss's wife. So he, he's in trouble either way. I mean, it's not a good situation when your boss's wife is, and she's not just saying, I mean, she's like, let's, let's get it on, let's let's. And it says day after day. And in verse 11, it says, now it happened on one day. There's always one day. He went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me again. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and just took off and went outside. Now she's pissed, right? She is that woman scorned. She's looking and saying, ooh, you don't know what you've just done. People don't do that to me. I am this and that. And now you've embarrassed, she, he's embarrassed her completely. And she feels horrible. So she, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see what he has brought this Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He, now she just lies. He came in here to take advantage of me and I screamed, ah, 
Um, and then he took off. And so she tells the boss in verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. And so I, I look and I say, backwards, backwards, backwards. I mean, he, what, do you, what does he do? But he's got to look at the situation and say, wait a second. What? I don't understand what's happening here. What? Okay, so this lady, and I didn't do anything. I stood up for the right thing. I mean, I was a man of God. I'm not going to go against God. I will not fall to her, to her enticement. And what happens is he gets thrown in jail. He doesn't get a pat on the back that says, good job, buddy. You held up against it. He's like, no, you get thrown in the slammer. And it's just, it's going, it just keeps going wrong. But in verse 21, again, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And so I, I have a forward movement there. And then this part is really interesting to me. It says in verse 40, then it came to, or not in verse 40, chapter 40. And it came about after these things that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their Lord, the Lord king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put him in, they put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And I just have written down, okay, interesting note there. They wind up in the same place as Joseph. And then the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them so that he took care of them. And I write that down. Okay, that's interesting because, you know, because I know the end of the story, I can look and say, okay, God's putting some things together here. Joseph is in this prison, and then these guys come in this prison, and he happens to be the one. I don't know what the prison looked like. I don't know how big it was. I don't know how many guys there would, could have been for, for the captain of the guard to choose Joseph to put over these guys, but these were guys who used to stand in the king's presence, and now all of a sudden, Joseph is the guy who takes care of them. And it says there they were in confinement for some time. And I don't know what that means as far as actual time. But then it says in verse 5, Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail in the same place, right, with the same, the same place. I mean, I don't know. Does that happen? Two guys get in trouble, and so they stick them in the same spot? Doesn't it? I mean, isn't it? I don't know if that's odd or not. Not been there. But I just wonder, two guys work for the same guy, they get in trouble, they wind up in the same area, in the same cell, with the same guy taken after them. And it, now it tells us that they both had a dream on the same night, two different dreams. And I thought, isn't that interesting? The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Down in verse 8, then it said to him, we, and Joseph says, he comes in in the morning, he says, wow, man, you guys are a mess, what's wrong? And he says, then we said to them, we have had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me the dream. Verse 12, and then Joseph said to them, um, this is the interpretation of it. 
The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will, he's talking to the cupbearer, Pharaoh will lift up your head and you're going to get your job back, basically, if I can paraphrase. And the news isn't so good for the baker afterwards, okay? Uh, but the cupbearer is going to get his job back. And so Joseph says to him, man, when you get your job back in verse 14, please keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. And this is the first time in verse 15, first time I ever noticed this in all the times I've read through this, but it's the first time that I, that I think we really have from Joseph, him opening up his heart and, and exposing to us what he's thinking because he says, he says to these guys, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me in this dungeon. And so Joseph is sitting there and he's saying, this is, I just got to tell you this, that here I am and I have no idea why I'm here. I haven't done anything wrong. I was kidnapped and now this is where I'm at. And, and this is where I keep trying, you know, on Friday night at our marriage thing, our job was to talk about empathy. And empathy is when, is when you actually feel the feelings of someone else. Uh, and so it really matters to you. And that's what I'm trying to do here is to sit and put myself in Joseph's shoes and say, what must, what must you have felt like? Because I realize you're a real person. You're not just a story that God made up for the fun of it. This actually happened. What must you have been going through? And so he says, I don't understand. I've done nothing to put me in this dungeon. And so we move up to, uh, um, to verse 23. And the chief, it says the chief cupbearer, as the chief cupbearer, the baker gets his head removed and the cupbearer gets his job back. And he, he says, he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And I'm like, dang. Think about, Joseph interprets the dream and he's got some hope. I know the dream, the cupbearer, you're gonna get your job back. Hey, would you? There's maybe some hope that you would go and say, hey, this guy interpreted blah, 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 and maybe I can get out of here. So there's steps forward, or at least a step forward, a thought, maybe, maybe I'm done with this. And then the cupbearer gets his job back and completely forgets about Joseph. And then it says in chapter 41, and it happened at the end of two full years. And I'm thinking, two years, two more years backwards, not just... I mean, he must have felt like he was running in the wrong direction. But then Pharaoh had a dream in verse one. And I look at that as a forward movement and we come down to verse nine and all of a sudden the chief cupbearer says to Pharaoh, I can see him. Oh man, I forgot all about this guy. You have a dream and you can't get it told to you what it means. There was a guy. I was supposed to tell you about him two years ago. He's still sitting rotten down in the prison. And I remember him now. And I'm thinking, Joseph, I mean, if it was me, I mean, I would have been whining and crying like a little baby, you know, after all this. And I would have been so despondent and God, you have left. And all I've ever tried to do is serve you. I've not, I've not gone in the wrong direction. What in the world is going on? Why am I here? Why are you putting me through this? Why does this hurt so much? Nobody cares and, and I didn't do anything wrong. I, I just can't get that out of my mind. In verse 14, it says, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph 
And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said that, that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered and said, hey, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so he hears the dream. And in verse 25, Joseph says to Pharaoh, hey, your dreams are one. <laughs> hey, Jack, your dreams are one and the same. God has told me, God has told the Pharaoh what he's about to do. So he's given, it's a positive thing. And then we go over to verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, after Joseph tells him everything, Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Big step forward. Pharaoh is saying, the king is saying, hey, this guy's wise. This guy's pretty smart. He hasn't heard anything like that in a while. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. And then Pharaoh says, you shall be over my, over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. I put, you know, double, triple Fs forward. The Pharaoh is saying, wait a second, I've just promoted you, and now you're going to be over my house. And you got to think about from being a shepherd, being hated by his brothers, being thrown in the pit, being sold twice, being the slave, being accused falsely, thrown in prison, and there and just left there, being forgotten by the guy who was supposed to help him and continue to be left there, then the next thing you know, he's standing in front of the king of the country and the king is saying, hey, I see value in you. And I just promoted you just like that. And then he says in verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the all of the land of Egypt. And I've got about 15 forward steps with that one because that, is, that has just changed the whole direction of where he had been going for such a long time. Because when you look in verse 46, the crux of it all is this. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He started out, we started out this story with him being 17 and now he's 30. So there's 13 years. 13 years of heartache and wrong direction and being mistreated and lied about and, and stuck in a place where he just doesn't understand it. And 13 years is a long time, fellas. I, I don't know. I just don't know how I would have handled 13 years of, of what seemed like Everything going wrong. I had dreams. I had things told to me that this, you know, was from God. This is what's going to happen. This is, and, and then almost immediately from the time where God gave me those dreams, everything goes backwards. And he's saying, what happened to those things that God told me? What happened to the, 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 the direction I thought I was headed with my life? Everything was good. I was loved. I was special. I, I, I'm in this family and it's all good and then God promises me things and then 13 years go by and he just keeps getting dumped on over and over again and I can't help but get by and say, setback, absolutely. But not in God's economy. In God's economy, 
all, all those years were the setup because I'm gonna stop reading here at this point, but the truth of the matter is this is where it all begins. The whole purpose for God in these 13 years was to get him to that place because the next thing he was about to do was to be in that place and he's gonna, about to save the whole nation of Israel. And as he saves the whole nation of Israel, all the promises of God that are gonna come through that nation now have a chance again because they were just about this close to dying off with the famine that was happening there. And that's why his brothers, his dad sends his brothers next up to Egypt to get some food to survive. And they find out, oh my goodness, Joseph, it's you. And they go through all that thing. But you know, the Messiah is coming through the nation of Israel. The promise from the beginning of the book of the one who's gonna come and redeem the whole world. is gonna come through that nation, but the nation is almost dead. But God takes a young man and puts him through 13 years of hell to bring him to the place to where he's now set up to be able to save the whole thing. And so it was not, those setbacks were really a setup to get him to the place where he needed to be so God could do what he needed to do. And that's why I read those verses in the beginning about, hey, we just don't understand what God's up to. We, we, we really don't. He's got a plan going on that even though we think this is the way it ought to go, he's saying, no, this is the way it needs to go because if it goes this way, you're gonna think pretty good of yourself. Just like you do when you're halfway around the board and you got all the money and the people sitting across from you have, have nothing and you're the, the wicked landlord, right? And you're loving it. But over here, it's, there's this humbling thing that keeps happening. Yeah, I think I'm going in the right direction and all of a sudden I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm like, God, and, and sometimes we have our own reasoning. Yeah, we screwed up. But sometimes we, we're looking and saying, I haven't been screwing up. I've been doing good and I'm still stuck in this situation and I don't understand it. All right, let's fill out. Well, get, let's just finish here. But we'll finish because it's the end. But here we go. Uh, but who would have ever guessed the road he would have to take to get to this place, right? All over the place. He's all over the place. And these are some of the things he must have been thinking. I must have understood, misunderstood what God has told me. I must not have heard correctly what God told me. I must have missed something along the way. He didn't misunderstand. He didn't, he didn't not hear correctly. And he didn't miss anything. God told them, and it was sort of like, when, so when God promises something, hang on. We just don't know how we're getting there. We think, oh, it's a promise, here we go, straight line to the promise. We've all got things that we feel like God has promised us, or dreams, or hopes, or whatever. It's not a straight line, so forget about the straight line. Realize that to get there, it is gonna look more like this, and so therefore be more prepared for the things that are gonna come at us. Here's a couple of questions we're gonna, we need to start asking ourselves and then I'll release you. Number one, God, what are you up to? When things start to turn backwards, we find ourselves on a place where we're facing the wrong direction or it seems like we're walking in the wrong direction. We don't know why. Instead of, why me, why me? It's God, what, what are you up to? What are you doing? What are you up to? And God, what am I supposed to be learning from this? Are you trying to teach me something? Okay, I don't understand this, but is there something I'm supposed to be learning? And, and then lastly, is this a setup for something greater that right now I cannot see? 
It looks like a setback, but is this a setup for something greater that I cannot see? And then lastly, I'll just tell you, for those of you that don't know the movie, um, afterwards, Robert the Bruce um, was the one that when William Wallace was killed, he was the one that picked up the fight after that point. And he's the one that actually won the freedom of Scotland but he was inspired by Wallace and Wallace's sacrifice and all that stuff that he had done. But his, that moment changed De Bruce's heart. And if you watch the movie, it's a great scene where he goes back to his father who's been teaching him how to lie and be deceitful. And he just, said, and he just gets in his face and he says, I don't want to deceive. I want to believe. I want to do right. I will never be on the wrong side again. And he goes on to save the rest of the nation. I hope this means something to you um, and I hope we can glean something from it because it has been a thought that I can't get away from. Okay, God, even in the worst times, this is a setup by you because you love me and I can trust you and you have my best intentions in mind even when I can't see it and I don't understand it. Jesus, thank you for having us be here today. You guys, have a great week. Thank you.